to Tea in the TARDIS. I'm Nicole Mayer. And I'm Carrie Peterson. And we're super excited to be back uh, with our recap and discussion and all kinds of other cool things with uh, the episodes, The Sensorites. Yeah, this one was really, really interesting. I liked it a lot. So I'm really excited to recap this one and talk about it. Absolutely. And we're changing our format a little bit this uh, episode just because we would like to make it as painless as possible to listen to us and that everyone has fun. We have fun doing it and you have fun listening to it. So, uh, Carrie, could you give us a little bit of a uh, rundown of what that's going to look like? Absolutely. So we're going to start off with a little Doctor Who moment of the week story. Uh, Each week, one of us is going to tell you a story about how Doctor Who seeped into our lives at some point during the week. I think that would be a fun way to just connect with um, our personal stories and and, because Doctor Who was everywhere in the world. You really can't go a day. I'm going to apologize right now because Edgar is making a lot of noise in my background. So (laughs) he's going to keep doing that. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. We're going to do a Doctor Who moment of the week followed by our recaps, which we're trying to keep succinct as possible. And then our discussion, and we're going to end on a trivia quiz. See which one of us has better knowledge of Doctor Who each week. Absolutely. And just to remind everyone, Edgar is her dog and not her boyfriend or her <laughs> fiancé. So her fiancé is not laying next to her legs, chewing on things. Yep. Just, you know, or in case scratching at the door. Know. He'll be scratching at yeah. the door. A lot of that stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, her, her fiancé is not scratching at the door. <laughs> Not that I would have put it past Dan. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So I can start with, I will do our first Doctor Who moment of the week. Yes. Because I have a kind of a fun one. Moving to uh, Portland means I had to start a new job and I get to work with teens. And what I do is I go into the schools and I run kind of an after school club called the Student Health Advisory Committee. And at uh, one of the schools, we had students come in for the first time. They've never been in this club before. We went to a bunch of different health classes and we said, hey, come and like join this club. It'll be super fun. So we had about eight to 10 different teens show up. And during our icebreaker, we kind of asked the teens what their favorite television shows were. And a couple people had all kinds of different uh, TV shows. Some I can't remember. One girl says she doesn't watch TV because she, you know, we're in Portland. So that happens. (laughs) (laughs) But another girl who is a freshman told me her favorite show is Doctor Who. (laughs) Which is amazing. Yeah. And every time that happens and I meet other Whovians, all I do is slowly slide down my sleeve because I have an Allonzi tattoo. <laughs> and as soon as they see it, like as soon as she saw it, her eyes just went like super wide. And she's like, no way. I was like, way. That was one of the first <laughs> yeah, things I noticed about it. you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she likes Dr. Who. Because we were in the middle of class and I saw your tattoo. Yes. And that's I mean, it's uh, also and also surprisingly. Uh, There are a lot of other people with uh, Doctor Who tattoos. So as soon as I see them, I uh, connect with them immediately. Flash the tattoo, yeah. But also I feel like Doctor Who fans are a little bit, like I feel like we're extroverted, but also a little more introverted than maybe some other people. Absolutely. Because 
you know, sometimes like my boyfriend's from Pittsburgh and if he's a Steelers fan, they're like best friends forever already. <laughs> like that's already like it's in stone. But like with Doctor Who fans, I've come to uh, the assertion that I will show them my tattoo. We will discuss it shortly, like succinctly, and then we go our separate ways. Absolutely. No, you <laughs> always least- find a friend in a Doctor Who fan. I love that. Yeah, I love finding them and it's just like uh, it's very much just like we both are into it and then that's the end of it but anyways that was my my Doctor Who moment of the week and there's a lot like that that happens uh, throughout you know days but I also I uh, it also helps that I follow a lot of uh, Doctor Who pages and that I also uh, you know follow a lot of Doctor Who Instagram so I have a lot of uh moments of <laughs> absolutely well that's why we're adding it into the show i think it'll be a fun fun way to just talk about those moments that we experience doctor who in our everyday lives yeah and then also uh tell us about something that happens to you during the week where doctor who just pops itself up uh just out of nowhere because it's super cool to hear other people's experiences with the fandom i think that would be an amazing thing for you guys to email us or put on our instagram page or twitter Anything like that would be amazing. All right. So another new feature of the podcast is that Nicole and I will be drinking tea during every recording, hence the name Tea in the TARDIS. So Nicole, what are you drinking today? I am drinking a chai tea, and it's the towel. Towel brand? It's T-A-O, I believe. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying towel. I'm like, I've not heard of that. You know, the towel brand of tea. That sounds very appetizing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm drinking a yogi tea. And it's called Berry Detox. Because, you know, it's Ooh. Sunday. I need a detox. <laughs> uh, yes. And actually, uh, just to stay on teas for another minute, I've been getting that vanilla um, caffeinated tea, the energy Ooh. tea. It's from, it's actually, because I know you had the berry maybe. Yeah, the passion fruit. The yeah. Yeah, because I got to lay off the coffee, so I'm going to get more tea in my life. Caffeinated tea. Less than coffee, but still gives you that little perk. That's I'm what with I you. need. It's just a little perk. Because there's this Sarah Anderson cartoon, I'm sure I've showed it to you, where Sarah Anderson's little person is like, I'm drinking coffee, and she's sitting at a productivity bar, and it's going <laughs> up, up, up. And then all of a sudden, it, it the productivity bar turns into anxiety, and she's like, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> and that's what happens now when I drink too much coffee because I'm an old person. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like in a ball of anxiety. I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> the coffee. Oh my gosh. All of me. her comics are so dead on. It's great. I love her. She's great. Yeah. All right. So, should we get into recap? All right. I'm going to start this time. Just for a little background information about this episode, it's called The Sensorites, and it was broken down into six mini parts. So I'm going to start with episode one, Strangers in Space. The team lands on or in something. They don't really know where they are, and they go outside the TARDIS to explore. Susan locks it behind them. They find that they're on a spaceship, and there are two people dead at workstations, a man and a woman. The doctor notices their watches have stopped and the people have been dead for about 24 hours, but their bodies are still warm. The dead man wakes up and they revive the woman with like a heart resuscitator. He explains that they're astronauts from the 28th century Earth. The planet below them is called the Sensosphere and it's been holding them there by putting them into a deep sleep. They all talk and the Sensorites steal the TARDIS door lock while they're all, you know, discussing things trapping the team there. 
The sensorites shake the ship, and it's on some collision course with the planet. The doctor stabilizes it. He then believes that the sensorites have some kind of mind control powers. I forget how he comes to that conclusion. Um, then Susan and Barbara go through a door looking for water, and a creepy guy closes it behind them and follows them. Back with Ian and the doctor, Carol and Macon, who are the crew members who have been revived now, tell them about John, the other crew member, and that's also Carol's fiancé. He was the mineralist on the ship, and now the sensorites have taken over his mind, and he might be dangerous. So Barbara and Susan try to hide from him, and he is following them around, but he ends up falling at their feet and crying for help. And back in the control room, the sensorites approach the ship again, but they're outside, and they're, like, floating outside the window. That is the end of the first episode. (laughs) Then we move into episode two, The Unwilling Warrior. Back in the control room, Macon and Carol are in a trance, and the sensorites are talking to their minds. They also try to control John and make him frighten Barbara and Susan, but he's resisting them. Barbara has an idea to use their minds against the sensorites to break their hold on John. So she and Susan think of the same defiant thing at the same time, and it works. It breaks the mind control. Susan faints. Then Ian and the rest of them break through the door that was between them and Susan and Barbara. John passes out also, but first mumbles something to Ian. So then Ian believes that John had discovered something important about the planet, and that's why the sensorates took control of his mind. They look through John's work, and they find that he discovered the planet is rich in some special mineral, and it's a veritable gold mine. Once they discover this, Carol and Macon's minds are attacked by the sensorites. Ian and Barbara encounter the sensorites in the ship and run from them. They lock the door, separating the humans from the sensorites. So the sensorites then use Susan's mind to connect them and ask for permission to come in and speak with them. They say that the humans can never leave because of their new knowledge about the planet and that the humans before them had betrayed them. The sensorites leave, or the humans then say that they're not going to live there forever and they demand the TARDIS lock back. The sensorites leave to discuss and the doctor speculates that they can't see in the dark and would be scared of the dark. The sensorites come back and speak Carrie. to Susan's mind, and she agrees to go to the, service with, to the surface with them in exchange for the rest of the humans being unharmed. Your three minutes are up. No! <laughs> uh, no. And I only got through two? <laughs> I only got through two of the episodes. You can read it in three minutes. <laughs> oh, man. So. <laughs> I'm like out of breath. Okay. So yeah, we're trying to time our, our, and keep our recap down to three minutes. And in three minutes, I only got through two episodes. And I started it late too. <laughs> um, so what, okay. So let's try to just wrap it up then. So um, where do we leave should off? Should I just keep going? If you would like to. <laughs> okay. All right. Episode three, Hidden Danger. The team goes after Susan in the hall, and she attempts to defy the doctor, but gives in and stays. The sensorites move to attack, and Ian turns out the lights, and they're all blind and scared, just like the doctor thought. Susan and the doctor argue about her acting like a child, and the sensorites offer to prove their trust by curing John down on the surface. A sensorite explains their distrust of humans, because in the past, five humans came, saw the minerals, and argued about using them, and then their ship exploded in the air. But now sensorites are dying, 
more and more each year, and they think it was something to do with that explosion. The elder of the sensorites agrees to meet with the doctor. The doctor, Ian, Susan, John, and Carol go to the surface while Barbara and Macon remain on the ship. The sensorites talk about the situation, and it's clear that the third in command is set on killing the humans. He puts a plan in motion to kill them with something called the disintegrator by beaming it into the room where the humans are. The second in command stops the plot. The elder talks with the doctor, Ian, and Susan and explains why they are trapped on the ship, why they did trap the ship in the past. Uh, they had John's mi- they read John's mind when he found the mineral on the planet. He wanted to bring more humans there to mine it, so they trapped them there to preserve their way of life. Ian, Susan, and the doctor are brought food and water. The doctor agrees to help figure out why the sensorites are dying in exchange for the TARDIS lock. Ian drinks the water and gets sick. And that's the end of episode three. Episode four, A Race Against Death. I really should be like a narrator or something. I'm so dramatic. <laughs> you should start uh, reading books on tape. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just made for this profession. <laughs> okay. Episode four, A Race Against Death. Ian is dying like the other sensorites, and the doctor thinks that the water has poisoned him. The elder says he'll die in three days. The doctor thinks he can find a cure and needs access to the TARDIS. The elder won't let him in the TARDIS, and the doctor yells at him. Susan realizes that the sound hurts the sensorites. The elder lets the doctor have access to their laboratory. The doctor thinks that the illness is atropine poisoning in the water and gets to work testing all the district's waters and finds that one of them is contaminated. He makes a cure. The evil third-in-command sensorite kidnaps the second-in-command. He thinks that there isn't a cure and the doctor is just trying to kill them all. So he takes over as second by taking his sash and assuming his identity because all the sensorites look alike except for their distinguishing sashes. The doctor sends a vial of the cure to Ian via another sensorite and the evil one intercepts it and smashes it. The doctor and a sensorite scientist go to the aqueduct and the scientist warns of monsters but the doctor wants to explore and find what's causing the poisoning. Susan goes and gets Ian the cure and gives it to him, and then they go to try and find the doctor in the aqueduct. The doctor has found a deadly plant and hears a monster's roar, and that's the end of that episode. So we pick up where we left off in episode five, Kidnap. It's a very, very descriptive title. So Ian and the Susan find the doctor unconscious. He's been attacked and his jacket is all torn up. They talk about how Ian wasn't brought the cure and figure out that a sensorite is working against them and they need to go back and figure out which one. Evil sensorite fears discovery and uses the second in command to signal the senior warrior and tell him to bring the disintegrator key to him. Ian, Susan, and the doctor see the warrior giving the fake second in command the key. The doctor tries to follow him, but he runs, the sensorite runs, runs away. Once they have the key, the second-in-command breaks free and destroys the key, but is killed in the process in the scuffle with the third-in-command and the other guy was working with him. Only the elder has the other key. So evil sensorite comes up with a plan and has two of his sensorite followers lie to the elder and say they saw the doctor killing the second-in-command. But Ian proves it's a lie and the sensorites get arrested. Except for evil. He somehow doesn't get caught in this. And all the actions of, his, of the evil sensorite get blamed on the second-in-command, who's now dead, so no one can prove it. John then gets cured, and the doctor, Ian, and Susan visit him and ask if he remembers anything about the plot that he kept sensing and trying to warn everyone about. But the evil sensorite interrupts. The doctor finds the personal effects of the old human visitors and sees that one of them was really interested in the aqueduct system. The group figure out, figures out that the new sensorite, new second-in-command, 
has been their enemy all along, but they need proof, and they think they'll find it in the aqueduct. The doctor asks the elder for help in the form of weapons and a map so they can explore the aqueduct. He also asks for Barbara to to be brought down from the ship, and the elder gives them all of that. But the evil sensorite has tampered with the weapons and the map so that they are both useless. He wants them lost and unarmed so that the monsters will kill them. The doctor and Ian leave without Susan, and then Carol gets kidnapped. End of episode five. Beginning of episode six. A desperate venture. The evil sensory has kidnapped Carol and forces her to write a note to John saying that she went back up to the ship. But Barbara's now with John and said she would have run into Carol if, they, if that had been true. So they figure out that Carol was kidnapped and they tell the elder. Ian and the doctor are in the aqueduct and they realize that their weapons and the map are both useless. John rescues Carol from being kidnapped by, and held by a sensorite follower of the evil one. Evil is still getting away with everything. A human attacks Ian and the doctor down in the aqueduct. The elder agrees to help Susan and Barbara go after Ian and the doctor. Susan and Barbara come up with a plan to use the sensorite mind-reading device to communicate with each other while Susan is above ground directing Barbara and John down in the aqueduct on where to go. In the meantime, two humans surround Ian and the doctor and take them to a commander. It's the old human crew that they thought were blown up in the ship, but they've been hiding out down in the aqueduct and they've been slowly poisoning the sensorites. That's how why they've been dying. Barbara and John follow the marks that the doctor was making in the tunnels and they find Ian the doctor and the deranged commander. And they say that the war with the sensorites in the surface is over and that they're all dead and they, they lead them out of the aqueduct. But all the sensorites are, a couple of them are surrounding them and they arrest all the other humans. And the altered map proves that evil was evil and he's arrested and everyone ends in peace. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm that was breath. more like 10 minutes. <laughs> Good job. Thanks. You great job. You're welcome. I will just mention a few things uh, that I noticed that weren't brought up by you. I'm not going to go over everything all over again. Good, good. <laughs> I need a minute to recover, so, so go for it. <laughs> you do that. So the centrites, we centrites, the opening scene, the women do come in and they have a spidey sense, which I thought was interesting is that the females felt like something was off and evil during that same time after the doctor revives or after the doctor after uh the group revives the dead folk there the uh doctor said he doesn't meddle and everyone had a good laugh (laughs) which is a i thought was an important part of the show and that's uh pretty much all i needed to add to that first episode and then we go to the unwilling warrior and uh, so that's when the, the Susan and uh, Barbara are trapped with John. And Susan actually mentions that they, the doctor and her had visited another planet before where there was plants that were psychic. And that's how they figured out how to defy the uh, sensorites. So that was something that they mentioned. I forget. I think the planet's name was like Indo or in indoor but that sounds like something from star wars so i could be wrong and uh this is also a time when we realize that susan i think it's been mentioned before but susan is the most telepathic of the bunch uh so the next episode that i would add some things to is hidden danger uh this is when also the sensorites there is a crew goes down except for barbara the crew goes down to the uh sensor sphere 
And they're also uh, known that there's a caste system there. And also the Centerites, uh, they have uh, not, they don't have names. They have uh, rankings, which is uh, something that I think is interesting to add to these episodes. And when they go in to get beverages and food, they're given uh, the lower caste water. And that's how Ian gets sick. And the elder wants to give everyone crystal water and because that's what all like the, the best kind of water you can have there. And the elder wants to make sure everyone gets it. But Ian was very stubborn and really wanted to drink the low cast water. Uh, let me see if there's anything else that we are missing. <laughs> all right. And, and the last thing I wanted to add that happened in the, I can't remember if it was the last episode, but I feel like it was, is that Susan describes Gallifrey. And this is the first time I think they really uh, mentioned it. They didn't mention it by name, but they did describe the skies were orange and the leaves are silver. And I feel like 10 maybe described it like that before or nine. I can't remember, but yeah, I, I, I noticed that too. And I really liked that. It was the first time we've really heard her talk about her home planet like that. And it was really cool. All right. Well, I feel like that's good for yeah. the recaps then. So now we're going to discuss all of our thoughts and feelings <laughs> and the things that we found amusing about these episodes because there's no way around finding amusing oh things about them. Oh my gosh, yeah. One thing I would like to mention right away off the top is that the Centerites look like Oh my gosh, rodents. they're so ugly. <laughs> and like some of them have mouths and some of them didn't. Like, I don't know if it was something with the mask, but like you could see like the, the mouth hole in some of them, but I don't think it was supposed to have a mouth hole. And then there was like hair all on their like chins and covering the mouth area. I'm like, what is this? It was so bad. And it's like, this is a family friendly podcast. So I'm not going to go into too much detail. We already said scrotum. So just for science, <laughs> scrotum. Hey, as a scientific term, totally fine. <laughs> Medical doctors use it. I'm, yeah, I'm we're good. No X rated here. Zone. But they definitely, they, yeah, they did not look like pleasant beans. And I don't know what the costume designers were thinking when they made them. So bad. <laughs> that was the first yeah. thing off the back that I had to mention. Uh, another thing that I would have to uh, dive into is the production mm-hmm. and the uh, acting was definitely subpar. Yeah. Um, I know it's a lot hard to edit when it's film, so I can, and it's, you know, film is expensive and you can't stop every time that there was things going on, but the continuity yes. even was super oh, off. Oh, like, super off. I was going to mention that too. Yeah. There was one uh, that I want to bring up when Ian is trying to describe this, uh, what was it, this wave thing, that the science-y thing to Susan. She's like, oh, what's that? And he starts describing it to her, and she interrupts him. She's like, that's Oh, really I remember, fun. yeah. And she just like, walked away. <laughs> oh, that was really funny. I noticed it more with Carol's hairdos. They change, like, every scene. I was like, okay, that's clearly a continuity issue. Because <laughs> they're like big, big I didn't even dudes. notice that. Good yeah. Call. Like she's, yeah, she's got, like, the okay. big, 
beehive dudes, but they change. I mean, it's one thing that they change like between when they're on the ship versus down down on the surface because you know some time is supposed to have passed. She could have freshened up, whatever. But it was even between scenes and they're up on the ship and her hairdo is changing. I'm like, she did not take a break to go to go redo her hair like that. That would take hours. This is a continuity issue. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, some of the things that happened during the episode is when Barbara got left on the ship. Uh, that was actually when Jacqueline Hill was out. Oh, vacation. really? So it was very, <laughs> it was very purposely I done. I like that. They, she needed a break. We, we saw that happen with the doctor in one, too, earlier. I forget which episode that was. but That is, ap- I want to say it was the episode where they, it was the Manos, Mana. I don't remember. It's There's been a while. <laughs> yeah, we probably should have mentioned <laughs> the beginning. This is our first episode back from a really long time from these old episodes. We've done a couple a couple episodes on on New Who, but it's been a while since we really got back into the old old episodes. And there's so many left for us. Yeah. To so we'll be doing this for the so rest of our So many. Lives. I looked at the list and I'm like, how are we only like five in? But then I remembered all of these mini episodes. Like this one was six, six mini episodes. So how many hours was that actually like? Three, three and a half oh, hours. I think I multiplied it. Well, six times 25. So five times 25 is what? I'll say four times 25 is 100. So 25. So 150 minutes. Of yeah, it really Dr. adds Meantime. up. So, that's, so we yeah. have only, we've, we feel like we hours. haven't gotten very far because it's only been like five episodes. But really in like new who time, each one of these is like three episodes. So it, yeah. we have gotten so far. We just <laughs> need to rationalize it. That's absolutely true. And I mean, we both work full-time jobs and have other lives. So, uh, That's no excuse. I'm, I'm trying so hard not to use. No, it isn't. I'm really, and just so everyone knows, I'm very much trying not to use the word so, but I keep <laughs> using it. It's a hard habit to break. Uh, however, <laughs> I'm trying. And... <laughs> Uh, something I wanted to mention too is uh, the cloak was an yeah. interesting addition because I feel like that is how we see uh, the first doctor. Right. right now, now that becomes like a staple of his ensemble for the rest of his time. I think. Oh, uh, another thing is uh, the director. Um, so the censorites are actually the inspiration for the. Oh ooh. no way. Oh, yeah, I can see so that. Russell T. Davis, yes, uh, Russell T. Davis uh, used them as his, uh, yeah, inspiration the, to make the movie. shape of the head, the baldness. I totally get that. And the I the uh, tool that they used to communicate, they kind of oh, had something similar, the like orb. The, the balls on yeah. the outside. Yeah, the orb, and yeah, the telepathic way of like. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I see together. it I like it yeah. so is it just his inspiration for the Ood or are they supposed to have been some kind of like evolution of the sensorites as far as I can tell it was just the okay. inspiration I'm gonna choose to believe it's an evolution thing though I kind of like that <laughs> <laughs> the I actually another thing that I found about this episode was I really didn't see the humans living underground coming at all I, yeah. I thought the city administrator was gonna be the person poisoning everything so that nice was twist. a nice uh, yeah I, I like that too mm-hmm. I kind of felt it coming right How- when the doctor found the 
the notes and one of the inside one of the humans was really into the aqueduct that's when I kind of figured I think something is going to happen with these old humans but up until then I had no idea either and I thought that was a really good well-written plot twist however I felt like they uh the censorites were saying that the monsters had been there for a long time yeah they hadn't really well yeah and it didn't they didn't really land on how long it had been from that first group of humans to betray or whatever to come and stir things up to when John and the crew came and then versus how long it took for the doctor to get there after that they didn't really set that timeline very well Right, but it seems like that the monsters had been there for as long as they could remember, like the sensorites. Uh, so it felt like it was a really long time, but the humans are still humans unless they're, for, unless they're able to slow down their aging process. It didn't seem like they were there that long. They were there just long enough to get some decent right, beards. Right, some maybe a hair, couple you know? years at best. <laughs> Yeah, and it, I mean, it also showed, I think, in this episode that men do suck, <laughs> like the mankind. I thought that that was a good touch because, again, I was really thinking the censorites were all wrong. Uh, the city administrator was the evil one, but it showed, like, no, these men were really here to, like, take all the things, and they're still here, and they're poisoning and killing all these people. So let's not forget mankind's terrible. Well, and the evil censorite, he was pretty bad, too. He had a lot of, you know, negative things going on, but... Overall, the sensorites were really peaceful beings. They never attacked, outright attacked uh, the crew in the ship. They, like, put them in a deep sleep. They provided them food and water. would wake them up every once in a while. But, like, yeah, they didn't outwardly attack. They were very peaceful, passive people the entire time. They just were really distrusting. So they weren't, like, an evil race of aliens. They were, the humans were the evil race of aliens. I agree. So another thing that I really liked about this episode, though, was Susan kind of coming out of her shell. Did you see that happening? I did. And I like how the doctor stifles her immediately because she's too young and that she is a he never mentions that she's a female. So I don't want to put words in his mouth. Yeah, but, but that's there is that touch that of vibe. you don't know mm-hmm. what you're doing. And it could be just the grandfather granddaughter dynamic, but it definitely felt a little more like you're a, you're a little girl, you're a little child, you don't know what you're doing. But she stands up to him, or she tries to, and caves every time. But hey, she's at least she's trying easily. now. <laughs> it's taken a while for her to even get that's to the point true. to be like, hey, maybe you're wrong, grandfather. I have a mind. I yeah. And at the end, we leave her kind of being like, it would be nice to stay in one place for a while and not travel around. So I feel like her departure might be coming up in the next, maybe not the next one, but like somewhat soonish. True. That hopefully, because I would really like to have a more of a climax happen uh, with this. Uh, the first well, ever doctor. since, ever since and- the, that documentary they're the drama documentary, the space through time, you know, the history one of it that we watched. It did show yeah. her leaving, like the scene of her leaving. And I've always been curious what the circumstances around her leaving actually are. Did Barbara and Ian continue afterwards for a little while? Or, you know, how is this transition going to take place between these companions and the next? That should be interesting, and I accidentally have come across a few spoilers, not, so I know. Do a not bit. tell me. Anything. <laughs> I did not. I'm not going to tell you anything, but I definitely know. Too much. 
<laughs> but that's what happens because I always want to get more information about the episode. So then I stumble across things that are like a little too much information that is going to spoil some of the surprises. Right. But right. it still is getting the journey is is most of the right. fun part of watching these so shows. So as long as you don't spoil it for me. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should have kept spoilers are cool um, as our name. <laughs> no, I kid. And uh, to go back to uh, the doctor putting putting Susan mm-hmm. in her place, kind of, that's like one of my, that is one of my biggest pet peeves about older people uh, trying to make younger people feel inferior and it makes that's why I love working with teenagers. But I feel like that's something that the doctor. Hi, Riot. Uh, that's sorry, okay. Mike's back. <laughs> so, uh, but I think the newer doctors are a lot more trusting of absolutely. Young people, and I think that is an important uh, dynamic change that is uh, absolutely. And I still see the the roles of women in this show this early on being really you know forward thinking. But I am excited to get to more of an age where we don't have to notice that as much. Like it's it's only fascinating to me because it was so atypical of that time. Do you know what I'm saying? Do that make sense? <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Women power. All right. Is there anything else we want to discuss about this one? I think. All right. Should we move on to our trivia time? Who has yes. more knowledge? Oh, do you, you want to do rankings Oh, first? yeah. Okay, good. Rankings. <laughs> I'm going to give this one. Okay, so I'll lay out our rankings. <laughs> we have Brilliant. We've changed that Brilliant as our top rating, followed by Fish Fingers and Custard. It's like an eh, could take it, leave it, leave it, or Exterminate, which is I hate this. Get it out of here. I'm giving this a brilliant. I thought this one was a really fun one to follow. A lot of really unique plot twists I did not see coming. And even though the acting was really hokey and, you know, that alien outside the window thing made me crack up after the first episode, I I just still loved it. I loved the whole thing. I think I might have to give this a fish finger Really? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that it had a lot of um, background, Doctor Who background that is going to come up later. And, but other than that, it wasn't as entertaining as I would have liked it to have been. I did appreciate the turn, the twist. Uh, Other than that, I feel like I could have fast forward through 90% of it and still gotten uh, most of the story I feel like that's going to be true for a lot of these in the 60s, though. (laughs) Oh, I can 100% agree with you. And maybe it was just um, just my <laughs> I'm not sure. But, I mean, I always love Doctor Who. So that's why it's always – it's fish fingers and custard because there's uh, definitely things about it that I appreciate and liked. But I don't ever want to watch this. <laughs> well, I'm with you on that too. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, just a lot of it that uh, – yeah, it was. These are all. Yeah, I think we have to get we have to re get used to the fact that these are going to be really hard to get through. Yeah, and I think that maybe that's where we're at. Is that this is our yeah. first one back doing mm-hmm. the classics? We just gotta reacclimate. <laughs> maybe it'll change, but it's still it's still not an exterminate. Like it's still okay. It's medium. That's good. <laughs> it's lukewarm. Lukewarm. All right, let's trivia it up. All right. 
You got our questions? All right, let me bring up my trivia questions. Yes. Oh, so are we competing? Um, or just whoever gets more, yeah? Whoever. But I'm the only one with the questions. Or do you have I your own questions? I don't have my own questions. Yeah, how do you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you, you should, just testing you me? Just how about you some. test me and then I'll test you next time? Okay, we could do that. Uh, I feel like the competition, uh, then how are we going to do? Well, yeah. we'll figure that out. Me I'll too. Cut yeah. out <laughs> All right. So these are new who questions. Okay, cool. All right. So what do- oh, excuse me. What job did Donna Noble's granddad have? Was he an astronomer, uh, an astrologer, a newspaper seller, an air- alien conspiracy theorist, or a time traveler well I mean he was all of the above at one point or the other I think a hobbyist or maybe not for his whole career but uh for his career I'll say astronomer you know what happened uh my internet stopped <laughs> working so one second gotta love I technology love it love it so much yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you lost what is doing no it's like the the website i'm using is just like you're the next winner of something i don't need that okay let me see if i can i'll bring up the app or do i still have the app i don't even know if i have the app anymore oh i do okay okay do you want to use yours well let's okay yeah let's try this one more time and see if it works all right so i'll ask you the first question what job did no donna noble's granddad have an astronomer astrologer newspaper seller alien conspiracy theorist or a time traveler that one's really really hard uh because i think astronomer he was a newspaper seller do we ever yeah remember him in the christmas episode yeah the christmas episode when they went down on the with the titanic i do not remember that all right i'm zero for one good one it's uh yeah, they were tourists, and he was selling Oh, now, yeah, like I remember that now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ugh, this is a dumb one, but I'll ask you anyways. <laughs> what does TARDIS stand for? Time and relative dimension in space. Of course that's what it stands for. Captain Jack Hartness, Doctor's former traveling companion and now leader of Torchwood, Torchwood cannot what? Have kids grow right Die or make tea. You can't die. Correct. I'm going to make tea. That's a good one. (laughs) These are some clever answers that they're coming up with. Last one. And I'm not even going to give you the the choices because it'll give it away. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So (laughs) Madame de Pompadour, portrayed in series two, was the mistress of which important person of the time? Oh, Oh, this is one of my favorite. And you don't even know his okay, full name. it was well, the king of England. What? what? France? France? King of France? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I got confused because their English accents. I was remembering the episode. <laughs> France is the king like, of France. You know better than that. Come on. Yes, the king of France. <laughs> Oh, that's one of my favorite oh, episodes too. Funny. So I really thought I was gonna nail that one. <laughs> King of France. 
That's okay. That just cracked me up, though, for sure. I'm sorry you had to, like, see my face weird. I That's okay. I was trying to read it, and I didn't have my camera up. Okay. Well, that was fun. Yeah, awesome. I like ending uh, the show with well. that. Those were pretty easy questions. I'm going to get you next time. I'm going to find some real stumpers. <laughs> okay. I will try to find. There was another one. Where, what planet was the Slovene from? Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. It's like what? It was a super oh, long Rax- syllable Rax- thing. Uh, Raxicola fabric. You're fabric- starting it oh. right. Ooh. You're starting to write. I don't have. I can't pronounce it. Raxicolacophalibratorius. That was close. I can't pull it up again because of time. It was really close. Something like that. Yeah. I picked. I picked the right one out of like five choices because it was the most long and ridiculous name. It started with Rex. No, they use all long ridiculous names. Like it was. I'm pretty sure I was close at least. Raxicolacophalibratorius or something like that. Yeah. You rock. Yeah. I'm back on the grid. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we are ready to kind of wrap up this yeah, episode. Yeah, I mean, I we've done trivia. We've done our ratings, our discussion, Doctor Who moment of the week. That was everything. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's sign off. Well, thank you again for joining me, Nicole Mayer. And Carrie Peterson. Through a journey through time and space. Thank you.